Hi, I'm Jessica Davis. I'm the president of Insight Threat Intelligence, and I'm here with Molly. Molly? Uh, hi, Jessica. It's great to be here. Um, Molly Salskog, uh, research fellow at the Sufon Center. I'm just going to get straight to it, uh, Jessica. Afghanistan has been top of the news hour and what everyone in counterterrorism has been looking at for the past um, weeks, and um, especially following the terrorist attack on Kabul airport carried out by ISIS affiliate in Afghanistan, there's a lot of conversation about the you know potential for increased terrorism threat, not only in Afghanistan, but globally. Um, you recently wrote a piece that I think is very important about the financing of uh, the ISIS affiliate in Afghanistan, which there's also been a fierce debate about what to call that acronym. I'm gonna, not going to get into that. But why don't you share with the listeners some top line points from your analysis there? Because I know you you tweeted about it and said, you know, there's more to this than just revenue generation. Yeah, when we look at a terrorist group's financing, we need to delve into far more detail than just the revenue streams. So for ISIL-KP, as I like to call it, um, some of that revenue is tax extortion. They have gotten money from isil Core in the past. There's also some debate about their level of involvement in the opium trade. Right now, I would say that it's minimal. They've sort of prohibited that, um, but historically they have had some involvement. And then there's also the question of state sponsors and donors. But beyond just the fundraising or the revenue streams, they're also using money for attacks and weapons and components, obviously, but also safe havens and operational security. They move money through hawalas and cash couriers and at least one charitable or nonprofit organization. They manage their money through what I think of as like a terrorist bureaucracy. They have a finance commission, but also operational units are required to manage their own finances individually. And they do sort of at the subsistence level. So they don't tend to have a lot of extra revenue. And then they store their money in cash and with hawaladars. And this is important because all of these things are important because these are our avenues for counter-terrorist financing. Basically, it means that if we want to do CTF in Afghanistan against ISIL-KP right now, we're looking at things like cash storage sites, um, targeting their financial managers, and a lot of external counter-terrorist financing opportunities. But Molly, I wanted to ask you, because I know you've got some interesting views on some of the regional counter-terrorism and counter-terrorist financing implications here. Yeah, I mean, I think you you hit the nail on the head there because the, the biggest question that um, a lot of people are asking themselves is how is the U.S. and allies counterterrorism operation, including uh, countering the, the financing of terrorism, going to look like now that there are no boots on the ground anymore? And I think one of the important things that are, are sometimes overlooked in these conversations is that whether we like it or not, some of these operations or at least some of the intelligence and uh, will we'll have to rely a little bit on the neighbors in the region ha that have historically not always been the best of partners, right? And um, what I find particularly interesting here is obviously that there are great powers like China and Russia who seemingly have similar interests to the U.S. in keeping Afghanistan stable and not spilling over into their traditional sphere of influence impacting their um, investments and such. But here, again, we come back to values in counterterrorism, which I think is something that we've hopefully learned in the past 20 years as the United States. It becomes increasingly uh, difficult, if not impossible, for the United States to say, 
cooperate with China, even on something as, you know, um, basic, would you say, that we all agree on countering the financing of, of ISIS affiliates, for example, in Afghanistan, because of China's human rights record. And all of a sudden, we don't, I, I fear that we won't have this coalition of um, key stakeholders in what happens in Afghanistan and the counterterrorism landscape that see eye to eye because of, of frankly, of values and how they treat they, their minorities at home. Yeah, this is a huge problem. And if we expand the conversation out to talk about the Taliban as well, China's interests here are a lot about stability in Afghanistan, because that's part of what Pakistan's interests are. And that's where sort of China sees a lot of has a lot of economic interests. So the way that China goes about seeking to stabilize Afghanistan is probably very different from the way um, the US, NATO partners, Canada, the Five Eyes would do it. Oh, absolutely. And I think the, the what will be interesting to see is how this, like you say, impact the broader region as well. This is this is potentially bigger than Afghanistan, right? We're talking about Eurasia. And then obviously we have we have Russia um, and the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. It would be very interesting to see, uh, you know, because the U.S., as you said, we have or as you've mentioned before, kind of set the tone of the counter and terrorism financing regime globally and and you know see whether these great powers are going to adhere to that if there will be cooperation or if like you say there will be parallel ideas about how to stabilize afghanistan yeah and one of the partners in countering isil financing is probably going to be the taliban <laughs> indeed interesting times thank you jess thank you molly